so cool to see all that. Kind of makes me tired, but it makes me excited looking not only, and that's what we're going to do today, not only look back, but we're going to look ahead. But I do want to say happy 40th birthday. So, you know, when, when 40th birthday is kind of a big deal, you know, like some of you are, you know, young enough that you think 40, like, man, I can't even imagine being that old. But, uh, but for some of us, it's like, yeah, I remember what it was like to turn 40, right? But I, one of the things I remember about turning 40 is it's like, hey, wait a minute. I just can get a series now. I think I'm maybe almost an adult or something. Like it was just like, like things are getting real when you're 40 a little bit. And as a church, I think kind of the same thing. Like we're kind of, we're going to start like act, acting like adults. I don't know, maybe. But you think of the last 40 years, all that God has done in and through this church is really astounding. And the truth is, that's what God is up to. That's what he is doing. Not only this church, but through local churches everywhere. If you want to be part of what God is doing, it's not mysterious. Jesus told us what he'd be doing. He said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And what God is up to, he's up to through his church expressed in local churches like this one. And if you want to be involved strategically in what God is doing, then dive in with both feet and what he's doing in and through the church. And many of you have been doing that for years, even decades here at Chase Oaks, which is amazing. And thank you for your faithfulness and for your commitment to that. I remember when I first came, I've been here 32 years, which is amazing. I came in the 80s. Christy and I came in 1989. And when I came, I was pretty disillusioned with church as a concept. I knew biblically church was a good thing. Practically, I just never really been part, uh, even though there was things I appreciate about the church that I was involved in and things like that. But I just hadn't been part of a church that was both internally healthy and externally focused. And when I came here, God really used it to re-illusion me in the concept of church. So much so that uh, 20 years ago now, when Gene first approached me about be, being the next lead pastor, uh, the baton was passed in 2004. That's 17 years ago. But we had that conversation 20 years ago. What I told him is, hey, Gene, I, I love this place. Like this, this is my family. This is my church. This is this is where I want to serve. And if you tell me being the next lead pastor is the best way I can push the mission forward, I'm in. If you tell me that washing windows is the best way that I can push the mission forward, I'm in on that, too. It really doesn't matter what my title is. I just want to be part of what God's doing here because of what this place has meant to me and how God has used it in my life. And I still feel that way. And as we look at, you know, the, the, the situation we're in now in our culture, one of the things that we're going to be doing, I think we're in a critical time in our culture, just like we were when these, when the church first started. And so today is a little bit different than what you might think of in a 40 year celebration, because it would be very appropriate to, to go back just like the video we just saw and celebrate different milestones and clap and thank God for all that he's done these last 40 years and make it really looking back celebration time. And that would be good. That would be good to do. But that's not what we're going to do because we're at two critical time in history, a, a two critical juncture in our culture to do that. And what I mean there is I think over the next five years, next 10 years, it's critical for the American church. We all feel that, right? We all feel the, the change in culture as, as uh, Christianity now is not really seen as even a good thing by those outside of, of Christianity. As you see a whole generation uh, really turning to lots of other directions anywhere but church. A situation where I just read today that we're graduate, even those who are in church in younger generations, we graduate out of Christianity. One million people from youth groups, like not just to college, but I'm talking out. They leave Christianity every year. Well, no more. We don't want to do that. Like we have a generation to reach. We have a culture to reach. But we're at a time of massive cultural change. I don't feel like I have to give a bunch of statistics to prove that. I think we, you know, but here's the cool thing about that, because that can sound alarming, like, oh, no, this is terrible. Why do we have to live in a time like this? 
This is an awesome time to be alive. This is an awesome time to be part of God's church because it's in times of massive cultural change that God is God chooses to do something new. The church isn't going anywhere. Jesus said it. I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. God is going to reach people. People need God. People need community. That's going to happen. We just don't want to get left behind of what he's doing. Does that make sense? And 40 years ago, and even a little before that, 10 years ago, which we'll talk about 10 years before that, when the first fellowship Bible church started that eventually gave birth to this church was a time in the 1970s, uh, coming out of the 1960s, where church, where culture had changed a lot, but churches really hadn't. They were doing the same old thing they'd always done, just waiting for people to like it. And, and waiting for the culture to come right back around, you know, and that's exactly what's happening now. And that's always a choice you have. You can, in a time of cultural change, you can do one of two things as a church. And that is you can kind of deny present realities and cling to the past. And just keep doing what you've always done, waiting for the world to adapt to you. And that's not going to happen. And in a post-COVID world, we're not going back. Like the culture's not doing that's not going to happen. So the other change, the other option is to say, no, I, I'm, we're not going to cling to the past. We're not going to deny the reality of the present. We're actually going to accept the reality of the present and adapt so that we can be part of the future that Jesus is building. We can be part of the new thing that God is up to. And it's that basic thought. Of saying, how do we be thoroughly biblical and, and, and say, man, we're going to continue to be, you know, in our theology and our biblical functions and all in our principles. How, we're going to do we're going to lock into that. But how do we stay flexible over time, especially in a period of great change? And that's a biblical thought. That's not just practical. Paul in first Corinthians nine said, though, I'm free and belong to no one. Meaning I can do what I want to do. And every church has that option. They can do what they want to do. I've made myself a slave to everyone, meaning I'm giving up my freedom. I'm giving up my preferences to everyone to win as many as possible, to win them to relationship with Jesus. To the Jews, I became like a Jew to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law. So as to win those under the law to those not having the law, I became like those not having the law, though I am not free from God's law, but under Christ's law. So as to win those not having the law, talking about the Gentiles to the weak, I became weak to win the weak. I've become all things to all people so that by all possible means I might save some. I do all this for the sake of the gospel, the good news of Jesus that I may share in its blessing. That's what God always calls his people to be. To say, let's be willing to adapt, to get uncomfortable I mean, it is a lot more comfortable just to stay the same and cling to the past and just do what we're used to doing. That feels good to us. But we will lose a generation by doing that. And especially in a time of great change. And that's always been our commitment from the beginning. And I want us to understand that because we're going to look ahead at some things. But first, I want us to go back to our origin story as a church. To remind us that most of us don't really know that story. To remind ourselves, man, this, this basic thought is a big part of what gave birth to our church, why our church even exists. And uh, it's so that we can learn lessons in another big time in history, another big massive cultural change that we're in. And to do that, uh, I'm going to invite our founding pastor, Gene Getz, uh, to the Chase Oaks. He is a Chase Oaker, but to the Chase Oaks stage. And, um, and so that we can share that story, we'll catch up with him a little bit too. So Gene, come on out. Let's welcome him uh, once again to the Chase Oak stage. Well, Gene, I've known you for a long time, and, and I'm an aggressive driver like you are, so anytime I see you on wheels, I get a little nervous. Yeah. But, but uh, <laughs> well, I, this is incredible. I'll show you what I can do here. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> My major problem 
leaving it at the office is to keep the rest of the staff off. Of <laughs> it, it is kind of fun. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, um, so for hopefully all of you know, and I'm sure some of you are, are brand new and, and are new to Gene, but Gene is, is the one who started our church and man, it's so good to see. You, so great. And so healthy. We, you know, uh, he had quite a COVID journey and he's on the other side of that. So we're very thankful. Well, it's great to see all of you folks. Here. Yeah. So before we dive into the origin story of our church, so we, you know, lessons we can learn for facing another time in our in our culture of just massive change, um, I want to catch up with you a little bit. You know, Gene is our pastor emeritus, which means he has a wider ministry and represents he represents us as he goes off and does all these uh, things and, and with Life Essential Study Bible and actually a lot of different projects. And so we're going to catch up with some of that. In fact, well, let's, let's, let's do that. Catch us up with what's happening in the ministry. Well, I'd say basically, Jeff, that the, uh, the focus has really come in on the study Bibles, particularly the Life Essential Study Bible. And when I was invited to do that, a total surprise when I was passing the baton to you, which, by the way, is over 15 years ago. How many years is 17? it? 17. 17. Yeah. And um, I was invited to do this study Bible. Took seven years. And, of course, uh, as you know, it's unique in the sense that it includes 1,500 principles embedded right in the biblical text. With QR codes, 1,500. Accessing 1,500 videos. But what that has done is just opened the door literally around the world. And um, let me just zero in on, on one project, yeah. and that is um, one exciting door that is opened. In fact, let me take you to Uganda to the Life Essentials Training Center, which we participated in bringing pastors in from Uganda to this training center, their motel units, and train them on how to use the Bible, as you can see here. We, we have the technology, and uh, actually training them in the technology. If you bring that up, you can see them. Uh, it's, for them, it's like a seminary in a box, because very few of them have had training. Right. And uh, they're just all over the place theologically. So we're able to help them. But we're facing another problem. And the problem is there's a lot of poverty in Uganda. So there are only certain pastors that can even make the trip yeah. you know, to study there. Yeah. So we've decided to take the Bible into these areas that are, are struck with poverty where they can't afford a Bible. Uh, let alone even a trip to the training center. So I approached the publisher, and I said, look, here's what we'd like to do is to give Bibles, as many as we can, to these pastors in Uganda. Would you give us the PDF file of the original Life Essentials Bible? Which simply means give, us, give it to us at no cost, which they said we'll do that. Yeah. And then we were able to make a contact in Sao Paulo, Brazil, the largest Bible publisher in the world, and approached them with this goal of, first of all, doing 10,000 Bibles. Our goal is 60,000. Hmm. But 10,000 Bibles. And so we were able to work an arrangement with them where the Bibles are printed in Sao Paulo, and ship will be shipped then. As we speak, the presses are rolling, and the Bibles uh, will then be shipped to Uganda. And and here's here's the exciting thing about this. Um, if you bring up the uh, next slide, I want you to see. Here is what happened for seventeen dollars. We can print the Bible, package it, ship it, go through customs, warehouse it in Uganda, do all the logistics, train the pastors on how to use the Bible, all for $17. That's unbelievable. Yeah. And so basically, for example, for every Bible that you'd buy tonight, we can ship two to Uganda. 
Think about that. We, we were doing one, you know, buy one. One for one, yeah. And then we can give one away because all the proceeds go into our ministry. In this case, this is opening up an incredible door. And, uh, and what will happen is when the Bibles arrive in Uganda, about a third of them go to the training center for the pastors that can make the right. trip and study there for two or three days. We'll house them, give them a Bible, train them. But for the other two-thirds, we're going to take the Bibles to them and do training sessions. Uh, and, and believe me, these people are, are dirt poor. Yeah. I mean, they just can't afford yeah. hardly anything. So it's a thrilling opportunity. And that's, so that kind of brings – that's one – project we're working on. Yeah, so today at all of our campuses, and for those of you online, you can do it online. Uh, we are, the Bibles are available, and thank great Christmas presents, but also it's one for two now, so you buy yeah. one, and two pastors uh, will receive that, and so, yeah, very exciting. So, and, and the Lord's just opening up doors literally all over the world. So let's shift to talk, let's go back 50 years. Can we do that? <laughs> so, uh, so our church started in 1981. Um, I was in ninth grade, by the way, eighth grade, ninth grade. And, uh, and then, um, and, uh, but go, if we go back 10 years before that was the start of the first fellowship Bible church. We used to be called fellowship Bible church North before we moved and became Chase Oaks church. When we moved up here at legacy, there was a fellowship church at the time across the street. So we changed his fellowship church fellowship. So we changed our name to Chase Oaks church. And, uh, but we were fellowship Bible church North. The first fellowship Bible church started in a time of incredible cultural change where churches were sort of staying the same, but the culture in the sixties coming into the seventies, as we all know, had changed drastically which means uh, churches were, a lot of churches were just not being that effective in reaching a changing culture. And you were a professor at Dallas Theological Seminary and uh, teaching people, uh, young people coming out of college, how to be pastors in churches who were questioning church as a concept. So just talk about that a little bit. Well, I had been teaching at Moody Bible Institute, and I was invited to come to Dallas by Dr. Howard Hendricks, who's now with the Lord. And he had gone on sabbatical, and uh, so I took over his responsibilities, and I got in the classroom. And I actually literally had students in that class who were saying, who needs a church? Maybe God's going to bypass the church. Yeah. A lot of these young men were converted on the college campus and knew very little about the Bible, but they didn't like the church, yeah. what they knew of the church. Well, as you said earlier, I knew that Jesus said, I'll build my church. <laughs> yeah. Gates of hell won't prevail against that. But I realized that I hadn't really equipped. I hadn't prepared with a syllabus to answer the questions that they were facing in that cultural situation. So I did something I've never done before, and I'd probably never do again. <laughs> but I came to the class the middle of the semester... And I said, you know, men, and we only had men at that time. We progressed beyond that. And uh, I said, men, obviously I haven't prepared this class uh, to answer your questions. So I want you to tear up the syllabus with all the assignments. This is middle of the semester. (laughs) I can't believe I did that. (laughs) And uh, because the next class, I had to know what I was going to do. Because I said, we're going to go back to these syllabus. We're going to go back to the Great Commission. And we're going to go back to the Book of Acts. We're going to go into the Epistles. We're going to go as far as we can the rest of the semester and see what God intends the church to be. And that began a process of about um, three or four years, really, literally. Well, it wasn't that long. Well, it was about that time because I wrote... Sharpening the focus of the church, that, that grew out of that process. Yeah, so you, with these students you're, you know, who are questioning church and churches, again, it kind of gotten locked into certain ways of doing things and uh, no longer is effective in culture. And you're looking, let's look at the New Testament and go back and see what church is supposed to be. From that came a book, from all that research, sharpening the focus of the church, which continues to be influential 
today. Right. Right. Uh, in fact, you're rewriting it right now. Um, so talk about that a little bit, the principles that came yeah. out of sharpening. Well, well basically, um, what happened is I wrote the, wrote the book, Sharpening the Folks to Church, which grew out of that process. And the book really is structured in this way, and I'll just share it with you briefly. Uh, we have the area of form and structure. We all live in the area of form and structure. Wherever you have people, you have function, but you can't have function without form. Now, in the church, the same way. So the question is, what kind of form do we need for the church? What kind of structure? And you see, a lot of the reaction against the church at that time was just the structures that had evolved. Ways of doing right. church. Yeah. So in order to determine what forms we need, we need to look through three lenses. First of all, you've got the lens of Scripture, the, the supercultural principles that emerge as you study the church. You have the lens of history. What did we do well and what didn't we do well? We need to eliminate what we did bad, mm-hmm. <laughs> badly, right. and accentuate what we've done right. And then we have the lens of culture, and that was the issue that we were facing, the impact of that culture at that time. And so basically, the, um, the book is structured on those three lenses, leading to the question, what kind of forms do we need? And so there were some students at the seminary, by the way, who said, uh, Prof, when are you going to go out and practice what you're preaching? Yeah. And I said, well, that's for you to do. I have tenure. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And they said, oh, wait a minute. And so uh, there were a group of people, about eight couples, that had heard about these dynamics that were going on and invited my wife, uh, Elaine, and me to come out in a home meeting. And I gave an overview of the book in these three lenses. And at the end of the evening, they said, Gene, let's start a new church. Let's take the supercultural principles. And let's not do things because we've always done them that way. But let's not be different to be different. But let's let the forms emerge in Dallas, Texas, that will best apply these principles from Scripture. Would you come and help us? And I had no idea what that was going to evolve into because, you know, I felt called to be a professor. I'd been a professor for nearly 20 years. And uh, I made a decision after the church just blossomed and grew and multiplied. And I had to make a decision. Am I going to be a professor or a pastor? And uh, I made the decision to uh, become a full-time pastor in 1973. So you uh, you started the church in 72, 72, came full time in 73. So, you know, we've talked about function and form. Just an example. Well, we're, you know, teaching the Bible is a function, right? We're called to teach the Bible. We're going to always do it. But how you do that is form. Sitting on a stool like you're doing is form. Right. And uh, does it have to be? By the way, some people don't like that form because they think it's too informal. But I think it's very nice. I think it communicates. I'm with, I'm with you. Yeah. By so the way, I'm, I'm being facetious, but boy, did that ever go over in the 70s when we had people sitting on the floor listening, sitting on pillows because we ran out of chairs. And it was like a living room. And people loved it. Yeah. yeah. I understand the hippie people in the hippie culture love the pillows, especially. Yeah. <laughs> but... Uh, I mean, seriously, so that so and so if we would have come in night because because I think it's hard for us to appreciate how different that first church was to what churches tend to do. So um, in terms of forms and all that, so the creativity that was there. So if we would have come in, let's say, 1973, 1974 to church on Sunday, I know the church is bigger than the Sunday gathering. But if we would have come to church on Sunday, what would it have been like? Well, we start out with some informal worship and then segue into teaching. And I did sit on a sanctified bar stool yeah. <laughs> in teaching. And, um, and I know you just wore normal clothes. And I was yeah. using visuals, you know, overhead projector back then. Yeah. You guys don't even know what that is, some of you. 
But, um, uh, and I taught for about 40 minutes, and, uh, and then we took a break and went out in the parking lot and had coffee and donuts and then came back in for sharing and a time of just relating to each other and worship, just sort of informal. It was a two-hour, two-and-a-half-hour service, and it was a really neat time. And that was one time a week, and then we just started multiplying. And that, that sharing service was the idea kind of a one and, you know, there's a lot of one another's in the Bible. The church is not, the church is us ministering yeah. to one another, praying for one another, encouraging one another, serving one another, That's so right. on. So it was an opera. People could just share. There were microphones out everywhere. People could share and encourage one another with what they were learning or somebody mm. might have a need, right? So yeah, somebody we might pray say. spontaneously about it. And uh, it was a wonderful time. But as we multiplied the services, we got up to four services on a weekend. And you can't have four two-and-a-half-hour services. So we had to tighten. We had to change our form to adjust to the cultural situation. And... Um, and as we changed our form, that's when we introduced the small groups because we wanted to continue that relational dimension. And so we made some adjustments there. And I think, at least according to some historians, they say that, that we really introduced the small group movement at that time. Yeah, nobody was really doing small groups, right? Because you do Sunday school for your church. That's what Jesus did. That's what we're going to do, right? And, and so on. And so started doing small groups to yeah, do one another. Yeah, and the small another. groups then yeah. took the place of the opening sharing service because we couldn't. Yeah. We, we just had to tighten everything in to make multiple use of the facility. And I know there was a bunch of misunderstanding around the cult, you know, just around the church. Because I, I grew up in a, a very traditional Bible church or became a Christian there in high school and stuff. So that... Um, and I remember being told when I came out here, I'd go anywhere, just don't go to Gene Getz's church <laughs> because uh, people were threatened by it, which, of course, made me want to go oh, to Gene Getz's right. church. But uh, um, and I, I did, you know, a friend of mine, Jack Warren, was here and, and uh, he was, you know, so but it was just misunderstood. It, it's to see not understanding what change is not it's not changing biblical principle or theology is changing the forms and ways of doing ministry That's to reach right. a changing culture. And we were coming out of the hippie movement at that time, you know, with the beards and, you know, all of that. And, um, and so we adjusted, and the Jesus movement was becoming yeah. full force. So we had a lot of young people that were converted out of the hippie movement, were in the Jesus movement, and so, consequently, we adjusted even on our clothing styles. I remember I wore a leisure suit. Some of you don't know what a leisure suit is. <laughs> and, uh, in fact, I, I wore a, a really nice turtleneck. By the way, there was one lady, I understand, came to the church and said, I'm never going to go back and listen to a preacher who preaches in a turtleneck. <laughs> but the majority loved it. <laughs> So, well, we, you know, we, we yeah. tried to adjust to the culture. So yeah, and I remember, them, you know, I remember seeing pictures. I wasn't there in the 70s, but I, I remember seeing pictures. I think it was Michael and Sarah Hawthorne yeah. doing more folk kind of worship music, right. which appealed to but, that but, group. And but we, we welcomed people in suit and ties, too. Yeah, sure. I remember preaching and teaching, sitting on a stool, and I sat down, and I saw a guy sitting down here in a suit and tie on the floor. I mean, he felt comfortable. We yeah. wanted him to feel comfortable. So you start that church. It starts growing rapidly. And then you decide to keep. Yeah, I think you started one church a year for a number of years. So yeah. there's a number yeah, of we did. The churches first five in Dallas. years, we started six churches. Yeah. And one of them was Tony Evans Church. Tony was our first full-time. That's Oak Cliff Bible Fellowship down yeah, in Oak Cliff. He was our first full-time missions pastor. And I think today... In the, just the churches in Dallas area, on any given weekend, before the disease hit us, uh, you could count about 40,000 people just in the Fellowship Bible Churches in the Dallas area. And one other unexpected thing, right, is that churches, people started taking notice of what was happening in Dallas, and people came from all over the country and wanted to start churches and their communities. Now, there was one in the town yeah. I grew up in. And uh, and now there's, I don't know, probably five or six hundred churches that came out of that still being planted, new ones still being yeah. planted. 
with really hundreds and hundreds of thousands of people still being reached um, by just the basic concept of what we've been talking about, taking it to their community. Just amazing um, and humbling. It was a a God thing. It was just a God thing because we had not started that church. We just wanted a church. We didn't think in terms of multiplying. And, And God just did it. It was just amazing to see see what happened. And I know you've been asked to rewrite sharpening the focus of the yes. church because uh, I think all of us feel this, but that people are realizing it just like 50 years ago in the 70s coming out of the 60s, a time of massive cultural change. We're once again in a time of massive cultural change, which is a huge opportunity and challenge for the American mm-hmm. church. So just ref- reflect on that a little bit. Yeah, well, I you know, I, I was doing an interview with Daryl Bach, Dr. Daryl Bach at Dallas Seminary, who's really strong into understanding culture and applying biblical truth in that cultural situation. And let's, let's make it clear. We've said it, but let's make it clear. We're not saying to change the Bible. If we do, we are departing from the faith. The Bible is absolute. The principles are absolute. How we apply those is cultural. And that's why Christianity spread all over the world. Because Christianity truly understood takes on different forms, but never changes in your basic truth. And so uh, we were really, really committed to that. And I think that that's what God really honored, you know, in terms of that multiplication process. And uh, I've forgotten the question you asked me now because I departed. No, just about the cultural moment we're in now. Yeah. Oh, yeah. with Daryl. Daryl. Yeah. Dr. Bach said he was doing a blog with me and he said, I think that the culture today is very similar to the culture of the 70s, 60s and the mm-hmm. 70s. And I said, yes, I think so, only more complicated. I think it's gotten far more complicated. Yeah. But... The Word of God never fails. And it, if it worked in the first century, it can work in the 20th, first century. Yeah, yeah. Anywhere in the world. Yep. It's so we need to understand how to be relevant and, and true to Scripture. Can we thank Gene for starting our church and uh, for being all that he is? Yeah. Thank you. And thanks for... And, uh, and thanks for believing in me and passing. I still do, by the way. I feel that. I do. I feel that. Yeah. And it means the world to me. Well, thanks, thanks, for, thanks for being our pastor, uh, I speak of. Thank you, Gene. Love you. Yep. I didn't intend to say this, but uh, just a, another example of the freedom informed thing. Uh, a while back, we did baptism services and had, you know, I don't know, 180 whatever people. It was really cool baptized. But I was talking to him about it because I was like, man, it's a challenge in COVID. You know, do people really want to get a bunch of water that people have already been in? And, you know, what do we do? And, and yeah, we're going to put chemicals in there, but just the optics of it. And and uh, he's saying, well, Jeff, it's, you know, freedom and form thing. So baptism is a form, um, you know, whether, you know, you, let's say you were in the desert and there's no water. What would you do? And he's like, maybe you could, you know, be fine, be perfectly fine. It would fit the picture to just put somebody in sand, pour sand over them, bury them in the sand, pull them up. Uh, to, and you have the picture of baptism. You know, just for an 89 year old to think like that is really cool. So uh, really cool. Um, and that's the way we need to be thinking as we reach a changing culture. Like I said, there's always that tension, right? Do we, it's more comfortable to just stay the same, even though culture is changing and lock into the ways we are comfortable doing things and kind of cling to the past. But if you do that, you not only miss the new things God wants to do, but you also sort of assign yourself to, you put a expiration date on your church. In fact, the, the churches uh, back in the 1970s and at, at the time, they were the big, strong churches and all that, and they tended to lock into the way they were doing things. 
a lot of those don't exist anymore or are now just sort of dying in their shells of who they were. As opposed to what I believe God always calls us to from, you know, it's always to say, let's stay flexible in the way that we do ministry, stay flexible in that so that we can not deny the present and not deny change, but accept the present so we can be part of the new future God wants to do. And that's what we're committed to as a church. We always have been. We just find ourselves at another big cultural moment. So I want us to talk. I want to talk about a few innovations, a few things that are ahead of us uh, that and, and really just give you an update because we've actually talked about some of these things already. Uh, we've raised money for them, but I want to give you an update because when you look at our culture right now, don't get me wrong. We'll still do church services. We'll still do groups. We'll still serve our community. All of that. You know, when I talk about change, we'll still do those functions, right? Those are biblical functions. And we always incrementally change. One constant at Chase Oaks is we change and uh, with a changing culture. But I think where a lot of the innovations will come now and the big shift in our culture is what happens outside of our gatherings and outside the church, even more importantly than inside. We'll still do gatherings. We'll still do church services like this in a way that non-church people like to will be able to connect to. It's just Now, one of the big shifts that have happened over the last 10 years, over the last five years, is when people are searching spiritually in our culture right now, it used to be even 10 years ago, if they were searching spiritually, they'd go, you know, I need to go to church. That's why I need to go to church. That's not reality anymore. If you're a non-church person, that's maybe the last place you go, last place you think about. The reputation of Christianity has taken a huge hit. We're not seen as the good people. We're seen actually by many as the bad people, right? So we've got to change that. That's our, that's on us to do that. And, and so that means that yet will people come? Yes, but not without some connection in between. Does that make sense? Like there's got to be some kind of, now the most powerful is relationship. Like with all of us that are scattered in our neighborhoods at work and all that, um, you know, where they get to know you. And you show the love of Jesus, you show the reality of Jesus, and you engage them, and you tell your story, and you invite them. That's the most powerful thing. But in addition to that, how do we get to people outside of Christianity, outside of church? We've got to think really innovative about that. So here's a few things that are going on that I want you to be updated on so that we all know what it is and we all understand it. And the first one, and and the massive shift that's happening, it relates to digital Uh, digital content or what I would call digital missions. Because right now, if people are searching spiritually, as I said, they're not thinking, oh, I'm going to go to a church. If people are searching spiritually, do you know where they go? Go to Google. They Google it or go to YouTube. That's where they go. And we want to be, that means that God is calling us to be there. Meaning we've got to, we've had to have enough presence and S search engine optimization, all that enough digital content. We want people to go to healthy play. We want people to find truth. We want people to find Jesus. And that means that's where we've got to be as, as digital missionaries. And so we're pouring a lot of effort. Our here, our uh, here for good campaign that many of us have given to one of the major things is digital missions. And, uh, and so there's new content that we're producing that is brand new and it'll proliferate. And you'll see it on our YouTube pages and you'll see it in other places too. But right now you'll start to see it on our YouTube pages. So I want you to uh, jump on to our, get on the Chase Oaks YouTube page. In fact, right now you can go ahead and get your phone out. Normally that's rude. And I think bad thoughts when I see you on your phone and I'm up here and you think I can't see you, but I can. And, um, and I think, oh, come on, you know, and um, you think oh, I'm reading my Bible app. No, you're not. But uh, anyway, so uh, if you go on the Chase Oaks YouTube page, subscribe, share it. There's some incredible content there. There are questions non-church people are asking, and it will and, and, and it'll help them get to a good place. Again, help them find Jesus, what we want. Uh, another thing that's happening that I want to tell you about, again, just changing the way we do ministry, is uh, another place of pe- spiritual search is podcasts. And some of you are into podcasts. Some of you are like, what's a podcast? I mean, I know we got the whole gamut. But uh, right now, uh, the younger you are, the more likely 
If you're learning things, if you, you know, you're listening to podcasts, it, that's another place that we know we have to be. And so we, we have started, it just went live this week, started a new, con, a new podcast called The Good Complex. And what the good, I give a day of my week now to the good complex, to doing this. If you would have asked me five years ago, three years ago, are you going to give a day of your week to do a podcast and be like, no, I don't listen to podcast. I don't, you know, I don't even know what you're talking about, but that's our world, right? That's the, so the, here's what the good complex is all about. So the good complex is a podcast, the target audience, even though certainly it's going to be encouraging for those of us who are Jesus followers, but that's not really the target. The target is people who aren't yet who don't know Jesus yet, who would probably never come through the doors of a church right now, but they'll listen to a podcast. And we're working with an agency that is helping us get to those people who are really good at getting, you know, getting us to that target market because they are the target market. It's a secular agency helping us reach uh, this group, just normal people out there. And the good complex is uh, the whole point of the good complex and why it's called that is that what we're trying to do is focus on the common good. And in a world where there is so much negativity, so much anger, so much fear, where our world is just animated by all that, where it's so easy to look and say, here's all the bad stuff that's happening in the world and getting worse. The good complex says, no, let's focus on the incredible good that's being done in our world. Now, I would call it the redemptive activity of Jesus in a broken planet. That's what it is. That's what we're highlighting. But we just can't lead with that because we'd scare people off. And so we tell stories of amazing good that's being done in our world by people. Um, We also have discussions in a polarized world to model, hey, you know what? We can disagree about a lot of things, but if we agree on the common good, we can actually listen to each other and learn from each other and push the ball forward in a polarized world. And that's the other thing the good complex is about. Jesus calls us to live that way and do that. But I want to give you a warning. As Christians, you might expect it to be way Jesus forward, Christian forward. And what I mean is you might be surprised that the good complex doesn't come at you with Jesus, Christianity, church, Chase Oaks Church. That, we don't lead with that. You know why? Because we'd scare everybody off. The people we're trying to reach. It's much more subtle than that. And so what we're trying to do is take the Jesus kind of high road, model what that looks like. Most of the people that we interview are Jesus followers. And so it's easy to tease that out of their story. Like there's incredible forgiveness story. Like, how could you forgive like that? I mean, it's shocking forgiveness story. You'll have one of the episodes and be like, well, I can't. I'd never be able to forgive. But God gave me the ability to do that. And here's how he forgave me and share that. Right. So that but we'll also not everybody. Most of the people are, but not everybody we uh, interview will be Christians. And, and, uh, and that's it. We do that on purpose because whoever we can partner with for the common good, we want to model that and do that. For example, I just, uh, interviewed a Muslim imam and in our area and you think, Whoa, wait a minute. Are we going Muslim? Are we? No, we're not. We're still Jesus people. Okay. But here's why we do that. Three reasons. One is um, I mean, this guy's doing incredible things. I mean, he, he, uh, but three reasons. Um, one is uh, we don't want to just toot our own horn. It's legitimacy. It's not just about, oh, look at us. We're Christians. We're so awesome. Uh, we're willing. I mean, we want to promote anybody who's doing good. We want to encourage that. And we want to encourage them. That's the first thing. Um, another reason is we want to model in a polarized world what it, what it can look like. To say, hey, there's some distinctives that are really important to us. And there's, there's avenues to talk about our theological differences and all that. And, and that's good. But in a polarized world, we can actually model what it looks like to say, to say we can still love each other, love people who are different than us, respect them, learn from them, be humble enough to do that, and to listen and to honor them, all of which are biblical commands. And so we, that's another reason. And then another reason is we want to reach Muslims for Jesus. And it's an opportunity for, to do that. Does that make sense? I just don't want us to get like, oh, no, we're going. No, we're not. Uh, but, you know, you get it. So here's what I want you to do with a good complex. It just went out. So we only have one episode out there. And we're starting kind of risky. We're starting with can Christians love LGBT people better? And it's an incredible story 
of a person like us who has a traditional view of sexuality, meaning sex, between, you know, designed man and woman in the context of marriage. How can we love the LGBT community better? And it's an incredible story of a person who is doing that in amazing ways, because that's one of the things our world looks at and says, you're haters. Look at what you think about that issue. And so we say, no, we're not haters. We love people. And so it's uh, um, so that's the first one. So, again, I ask you to get out your phone. So get it out again. However, you do podcasts, Spotify or podcast app or whatever, and look for the good complex. You're like, I don't know what you're talking about right now with podcast app. That's OK. Just you can go on YouTube on that, too. And on YouTube, go to the good complex. You can also go to the good And uh, and and uh, you'll see incredible stories of good being done. Um, but just so subscribe to the podcast, share it, all of that. Right. So that we can uh, so we can get the get the word out there. But again, if you had told me I'd be doing podcasts five years ago. Right. But it just if we're going to reach a world, if we're going to reach a changing culture, we just have to change the way we do ministry. And if that's where people are, that's where we're going to be. Um, you'll see other things. You know, you, you know that we've just done the local good center. The local good center is not only an opportunity to serve people's needs that are very practical and very real needs, but also an opportunity to invite our friends to serve along with us. People who had never come to a church service, but who want to make a difference in the world. And I've already talked to one person who is uh, much younger than me. And she's like, you know, I would volunteer there three or four times a week. She would never come to church. Not right now, but she would do that. And there's a lot of people in our culture like that. Um, Another thing that you'll see coming down the pipe that we've talked about is a local good cafe, uh, which is we're still it, that's a little complicated trying to make that happen. We've got a t- team of great people uh, working on that make to make that happen. But the local good cafe is an opportunity to people who would never come into the doors of a church, but would come into that coffee shop or that cafe. And uh, that's a with that has a cause attached and a lot of programming attached and again, if you would have asked me five years ago, um, do you think Chase Oaks will ever open up a cafe? Like, <laughs> no, we do church. Like, what are you talking about? But again, it's it's how are we going to reach people who aren't going to uh, immediately come through the doors of a church because they think we're the bad people? Well, we've got to change that, right? And we've got to be where they are. And so those are just some of the examples of changes. But all that to say, we just got to think differently. We've got to think creatively. And it's easy to look at what's happening in our culture and kind of throw up our hands and say, oh, no, you know, uh, what's going to happen? You know what's going to happen? Jesus said it. I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. That's what's going to happen. And what he invites us to do is join him in doing in the new things that he will do to reach the people that he's going that he calls us to reach. And I don't want us to be left behind. I want us to be part of what he's doing. And that means staying open, staying flexible. And, uh, and, and, when I, and when we talk about the church, it's not just like some organization out there. It's really just you and me. That's all it is. You and me being open to whatever God wants, wants to do. Where God has placed you in your work environment, in your neighborhood, in your school, where collectively what he's called us to do as a church. And I believe if we're open and we do this, this is such this is like the Holy Spirit's playground. When you have this kind of massive change, the Holy Spirit is God. God, the Holy Spirit is his playground to do new things. And if we're open. Five years from now, 10 years from now, we're going to look back and say, you know what, that was a crazy ride. But I'm so glad I was on it. That was amazing. And that's been our story for 40 years. And my prayers will be our story for 40 years to come. And here's what I want us to do. Because the church is just you and me. And I know some of you are new and, and you know, you may not be up for this. That's okay. And some of you can't do this physically, what I'm about to ask. And that's okay too. You can still pray. But we're going to pray. But I'm going to invite you if you can. Physically can to get on your, I want, I want us to get on our knees together because I don't believe it's accidental that any of us are here. God's not very good at doing accidents. He's purposeful. And I believe God has led us here to be part of what he wants to do. And I, and I want us to commit to that. So I'm going to get on my knees. 
I invite you to join me as we just commit our, ourselves to him. And I want you to just join me in prayer and I'll represent us in prayer. Father, we thank you for these last 40 years. So many of us, uh, I mean, we all have impact stories of how you've used this church in our lives. Father, I thank you for me as a 23-year-old disillusioned with church. Being connected to a church where what you saw on the platform is exactly what was happening behind the platform. In a place of authenticity and character. And, and I'll be forever thankful for that. And for all that you've done these last 40 years. It's astounding. And I thank you that you love to use broken vessels, imperfect things to do your best work for your glory and that's what you have done and will continue to do and in a world where there's so much need where people need God they need community they need you God would you help us as a church be willing like Paul to say I'm willing to be all things to all people that I may win as many people as possible God, would you help us to be open, help us to be flexible, help us to be creative. God, would you empower us everywhere you've placed us on purpose in our work environments, in our school, in our neighborhood, to be your person there. And collectively as a church, you've placed us to be your church here. And God, give us continued wisdom, continued provision, so that we can be everything you've called us to be as your church and your people in this culture. I thank you for our heritage, and I thank you for what you will do in the future. In Jesus' name, amen.